Hello, everyone, and welcome to an episode of the Event Industry News podcast with Adam Parry, editor at Event Industry News. And joining me today is Ollie Bailey, the interaction designer for IMEX, a very well-known international uh, event, both in America and here uh, and in Frankfurt, and also Panos, the CEO of Zenus AI, the leading company in the space when it comes to facial analysis and the use of facial recognition, etc. Powering help and helping to power events um, from a number of different things that we'll get into, obviously, in this episode of the podcast and talk about how IMEX are uh, engaging with that technology and using it to the benefit of the attendance and the overall experience of the show. But Ali, I'd like to come to you first. Could you just give us a little bit of background about your role at IMEX and maybe how you got started in the industry and, and what that looks like for, for each event? Yeah, absolutely. Hi, Adam. Hi, Panos. Um... Well, I've been at IMEX for a long time. In fact, it's coming up to year 20 for me. That will be in uh, in January next year. So I missed the first ever show. That was in 2003, but I joined in January just after that. So, um, And I really have worked in pretty much every, every area of the business going through there as well, which gives you kind of good insights. I also took a little bit of a detour for a while and did a lot of study around UX, UI design, that kind of thing. And it became quite apparent when I was doing that kind of studies and those research uh, techniques that, look, we can actually apply all of this to live events. You know, it's, it isn't just for the digital world. Um, and that's what really um, took me down the path of event design and um, interaction design in, in that kind of live events uh, context. And then while we had that strange hinterland where we weren't doing any events for a couple of years uh, recently, that really gave us time to really plan. We did some stuff in the digital world and learned a few lessons there and were able to sort of apply that kind of thing. So especially when it comes to, to new technologies, uh, we're very, very open to that, especially anything that allows us to um, gain extra insights and measurements from, um, from a live environment, um, a bit of a measurement geek. Um, and so that's really how, um, you know, how I got to meet um, Panos um, through, through researching that kind of thing. Um, and so experience design, interaction design, which incorporates, you know, measurement and things like that. And um, that's pretty much my sole or my main focus uh, at IMEX now. And Panos, a little bit about yourself and how you got started and tell us a little bit about what Zenus does for event organizers and agencies and things like that around the globe. I'll be happy to. So my name is Panos, co-founder and CEO of Zenus, born and raised in Greece, came to the U.S. in 2011. Uh, I got my PhD in computer science and I was working in AI and facial analysis since then. And after graduating, we put together a team and we launched a startup in the events industry. Uh, initially, we were doing something different. And after a while, we realized that there seems to be the biggest opportunity seems to be on the analytics, understanding the behavior of people at events, and then being able to improve their experience. And in a nutshell, this is what we do on, on the biggest scale. Uh, Oli alluded to that. He said, you know, during COVID, we learned a few things, and then we, we knew how to apply them in, in live events. It, it's very similar what we do. Whether when you do any type of online marketing, email blast, ads, asserts, posts, whatever you do, you're able to measure everything. Views, likes, clicks, comments, dwell times, all of these things. And that allows the marketers on online channels to be able to analyze everything. When it comes to offline marketing, that's a little bit harder to do. And that's the gap we're filling with our technology, being able to understand how people experience things. 
so the bridge between what we can do in the digital realm, but now in the physical realm that we deliver events in, right? And more, if I may add so, and only uh, feel free to jump here because on the online world, you get presence, you get to dwell time. In the physical world, we can actually analyze facial expressions and you can get sentiment. You can get sentiment continuously. So you can take a session and you can see how it changes the audience reactions minute mm-hmm. by minute. Uh, so you can actually have a little bit more information in a sense from the physical experience. And part of the reason we know yeah, why lab events... Ah, please. Oh, do you want to jump in early? Uh, yeah, I was just going to say there's like that old adage, adage that um, if it's measured, it's managed. Um, so it's impossible to be strategic about um, improving anything unless you actually have that measurement. The inverse is true. If you can't measure it, you can't effectively measure, uh, manage it. So when we were um, wanting to be more strategic about event design, experience design, we had to find a way to get beyond just the, the numbers of, um, you know, of heat mapping data and things and get a bit deeper into that experience. Um, but in a way that um, wasn't too heavy on our resources. We still do observations in person. It's very, very important to do that as designers. Um, but, but using this kind of technology allows us to be a lot more broader and a lot more present, um, you know, um, than, than we would be if we just, um, you know, just threw bodies at it. Also, um, it removes um, just personal prejudices. You know, if you're tired, you've been at the show three days, you might not want to be there. AIs don't get tired. You're going to get those consistent results um, throughout things as well. So it's it, it's very, very useful to support um, other insights that you might have got in, in person on that side of things as well. It's the sort of thing, yes, you can, you can do a lot of um, in the digital world, but I find it, I'm more excited about this now because people are actually present in the live environment. And for me, it's um, the kind of metrics that we can get from the live environment now supersede anything that we can get from the digital world. I, I think that for me is what most or if all of our, the technology that's coming in or already in the space for, for the event space is it's elevating us to the same, if not in, like you said, Panos, some areas that online and digital can't touch upon and I think adding more value and more power to people who invest in live events as a way to connect with their industry and their customers and their prospects and things like that in in a much more tangible way to help safeguard and protect that budget line and investment in meeting face-to-face I think I think there's never been a world certainly in 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 my lifetime where it's if we often feel so distant and events provide so much value of coming together but part of that as event organizers is we have to find ways to continue to improve the experience and provide more value back not just to the exhibitors and sponsors but as you said ollie the, the actual attendee as well right um ollie if i could just ask you and, and maybe dig into the, the the reason you um partnered with Zenus on imx what what specifically was it that you were looking to gain more insight on or were there other challenges or objectives around uh, working with, with Zenus? Yeah, I mean, you know, we've, we, we catch up regularly and um, the, the conversation's much like this one. We always run out of time a little bit too quickly, really. It's, um, you know, it's, it's amazing where the ideas come from. But I, I do remember specifically how, how it started. There's you know, several areas of, of IMEX events that we um, put a t- lot of time and resources into, um, you know, things like um, 
a lounge that we create for our for our hosted buyers, the catering areas, our education spaces. You know, they're very, very important aspects of the show. Yet they're areas that we know the least about because um, you know the success criteria there is not something that we can get from scan data. Um, but we wanted to be um, strategic about our design. We want to keep improving these spaces, but how can we do that unless we find some way of, of measuring that? And I remember talking to a number of people about how you can possibly do, um, you know, become strategic about these qualitative elements in design. And I think it was a conversation with uh, Dax Calder from the Smile Agency. We talked about facial analysis. And then it was just one of those moments when the planets aligned and then um, Panos met with a colleague, a colleague of mine, uh, Jonathan Bradshaw from the Mythology Group, and, and then then the conversation started there. So it started really as a way to um, to be more strategic about um, some of the key elements in our show, so we could benchmark and then build and test the experience. Well, we had these hypotheses. We think they're working. We 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 knew exactly what they were supposed to be doing. But we wanted to make sure they were doing what we were supposed to be doing, um, and so it was it was really exciting to be able to, for the first time, experiment with technology that gave us those insights that weren't just anecdotal of us. Um, you know, looking at post-event surveys, so you're then you're measuring the kind of remembrances rather than the actual experience. It's very different, or our own observations, where for the best will in the world, we're pulled in several different directions when we're on site, and we can't really just focus on on that. You know, and, and plus we don't have insights into into um, you know, people's mental states in the same way as, um, you know, observing someone's face for any, any period of time. So it started out as, as a way to measure those qualitative aspects for areas that are core components, we believe, about enhancing the attendee experience. It wasn't actually sales focused or anything like that at that time. That's really interesting. So using the technology to, um, I guess, back up with data, the thoughts and feelings you had about already how the event was going and how people were interacting and, and the, you know, the sentiment around the event and things like that. And I really liked as well, I guess, and you've mentioned this a couple of times now, taking out any human bias out of those opinions and things like that, you know, judging, the, judging it by the data that was there that you got back mm. from, from Panos and the team at Xenos. Yeah, absolutely. It's important to have what, uh, more than one um, form of measurement, I think, and, and as many as you can. You mm -hmm. know, this, this is a wonderful tool, but um, there's other tools out there, and having them all working in tandem is the best thing you can do. There's no substitute from being there yourself and experiencing it alongside all of the other people. Um, but you can't be there all the time, um, so um, you need that, that extra help to help um, you know give you that broader, longer, longer picture. Because um, you might be there for, a, for 10 minutes, you might think this is fantastic. As soon as you walk out the room, you know, well, hell might break loose. And then you've got a very, you know, <laughs> warped idea of how things went. Obviously, the inverse is true as well. You might just be really unlucky and just, um, you know, go to a space where everything's going wrong. And then that's not a real depiction of, of how things went over three days. Um, yeah. But the things, the things have to go together. Or equally, things like diary studies, geolocation data, all of that can join in together you know, to give you that, that overall picture and the, the full insights about what exactly is happening. So, for example, you know, I might be able to tell from some kind of heat mapping data that um, the catering area is really busy on lunchtime on a Tuesday. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? Well, I don't know, because we need to know measure sentiment as well. You know, are people enjoying being there? You know, so um, it's it, all these things together um, give you a really good picture of how well you're doing and, and how well... Uh, how much people are enjoying the experience um, and they should uh, not be considered in isolation but as, as a part of an overall holistic um, you know measuring um, experience, measuring package really. 
Yeah. And Panos, do you find that many other customers that are coming uh, or, or discovering what Xenus can do from are coming it from very much the same uh, angle as, as Oli and the team at IMX, or are there other reasons as well that uh, event professionals are coming or event organizers are coming to Xenus to have their technology deployed on their events? It really depends on the type of the organizer and the client and the partner. It, it really depends. But usually the core is having the ability to measure and quantify things. I think the one thing that all in the team have done really, really well is they're, they're very open to experimenting and trying things out. Mm. So one of the things we did on the first show, like all you mentioned, the hosted buyers lounge, which was very, very nice. We recommend it, you know, do you, can you put a baseline where you can cover a few general areas to establish a baseline and compare? Because just saying the sentiment, the positive sentiment in area X was 50%, 60%, 90% tells you nothing as you have a baseline. And we do have our own benchmarks from all of the events we have ever done. But you also want for the event at hand to have to be able to compare within this event, within this group, how things change. So these are some of the things we have enjoyed very much working with all in a team, that they're very open and, and they're thinking things very constructively and very deliberate in everything they do. And you can see this in the way we interact together, but also throughout the event. Yeah, I think that's really good. I, I want to come on a little bit to, I guess, some headlines and maybe the way that some other people feel about, and I think it's also probably the, maybe an opportunity to explain the difference between facial recognition and facial analysis you know the technology in general can be sometimes quite controversial in topic i think we're having uh, some conversations or there have been some larger conversations uh, you know when we see companies like amazon and others using this technology around privacy and the ethics and back to your point again ali the bias that may be around it or programmed into it shall we say i know this is a topic that's now massively coming up when it comes to just AI in general and the use of AI and will we get to a point where people have some pushback in the how is my information being used even if it's anonymized how are you processing it holding it using it that kind of stuff how do you and, and you can probably answer this both from different angles Ollie you as the event organizer and, and, and Panas you as the technology provider but like how do you go about addressing these concerns I'm, I'm going to come with you panos first from a technical prospect because i guess you have to justify this first and foremost to, foremost to companies and individuals like ollie before they have to then justify it to attendees because if they don't use it they don't have to justify it but like what's 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 your what, what are the conversations you're having around the ethics and privacy of facial analysis on 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 events and maybe just explain the difference to start off with between recognition and analysis as well so the first thing I want to, to, to comment on this is that there's often the dilemma, who's responsible for privacy? Who's responsible for the way technology is being used? And our opinion has been that the companies and the people developing the technology are to a great extent responsible for embedding tools and you know having ways to mitigate most of the challenges that come with privacy. That's the first part. The way we do it, in, in our case, you know, our faces say a lot about who we are, but also the way we feel, where we are, and so forth. It's not just who in terms of identity, but someone was there, they stayed a long time, was it a male, person, female, young, old, facial expressions, and so forth. So just detecting a face without identifying it gives you a lot of information. 
And that's what we do. Face recognition is I'm using my face to say this is Panos. Facial analysis is I'm using my face to say somebody was there. They stayed mm. for five minutes. Their the facial expressions had positive reactions. And then you aggregate this on a group level. And this is how you get the insights. Because very, very important, it is almost impossible to infer the way a person feels from the face alone if you have a single person. But you have a group of people in location A versus a group of people in location B, that becomes a little bit easier to understand which experience was better. So it is not identification. You're not matching faces against a database. You don't keep any faces against the database. It is just group level anonymous statistics. That's the first part. The second part is the way it is being deployed. The traditional approach has been you're sending all the video from the premises to the cloud. This has lots of logisticals, uh, logistical and security and uh, privacy implications. You need a lot of bandwidth. It's very expensive. And you transmit video and you store it at a different location. So we have created some sensors that people listening you know, virtually. It's, it's a very small box like an Apple TV. That's how you can picture it. But it's like a supercomputer. And what this does is it can analyze the physical environment without storing or transmitting video. Just for reference, when you take a picture with your phone, it's about 9 to 10 megabytes. Our sensors, over the course of an hour, they will collect on aggregate one megabyte of data, 10 times smaller than the picture. So that's because it's only keeping the group level statistics. It, it never stores the video, it never transmits video, it never identifies anyone. It's impossible to go back and say this person was doing that. In fact, you can not even track people from camera to camera. That's that's how strongly we have gone uh, and seriously we have gone about this topic. And this, the moment this is explained to people, it creates a lot of ease. But explaining it to people is important, and, and education is important. And I guess that's really interesting that you can't track for you can't track from one camera to another. And Ollie, back to your point, why it's important to use other technologies as layers to other identification processes, heat maps, things like that, so you get that that full picture. Um, Ollie, I guess the way that Panos and Xenos approach um, the non-storage of data or what data they do store is not transmitted and things like that, obviously, I'm assuming that made it a, a more straightforward and easier decision for you to use that technology on the show. But just, you know, from, from, the, from the organizer's perspective, I guess, if you could just um, enlighten us to what, if anything, you have done around attendee communications around this technology being deployed on the show. And also, had there been any conversations or concerns internally that were addressed as ultimately non-concerns because of the way that the technology is deployed, if that makes sense? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I totally agree with... Um, yeah, it does. Yeah, thank you. Uh, yeah, I absolutely totally agree with what, what Panos um, said a bit before in that um, once we understood the technology there and it didn't feel like there was any gray area for us at all. It was it was obviously um, um, perfectly um, ethical and fine. Um, uh, it's very, very important to be transparent. I think that's the key thing, um, not just about the way that the technology works, but how you why you're using it in the first place because i think it's the unknown that pe makes people nervous you know it's all, always is the same thing 
Um, and for us, you know, we, we're quite open about the way why we're using it. We're, we're using it not for any kind of um, marketing reason or anything like that. We, we, we want to make a better show for people, really, by, um, you know, by finding the things we're not doing very well and making them better or doing more of what we're doing right. And it's not anything else above what we haven't been doing since the first show in, in you know, 20 years ago when we when we were looking around, stick our head in the door, how is it going, seems to be going okay. It's just that we've, we're using technology, we can get a lot better at that. Um, and similarly, you know, when you've got a better baseline or, or a more consistent technology, then you can start comparing your show this year with the show last year and the year before and things like that as well. And then 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 it starts becoming more interesting and, and doing that. Um, it's, it's baked into our registration process now where we make people aware that, uh, um, you know, that um, we're using this technology at the um, the places where the sessions are as well. Um, there's uh, there's mention of it as well. So it's transparency is very very important uh, to us, and you know it doesn't feel like at any point that um, we, we're we're at all worried. But it is an important um, point to raise. And anytime there's new technology, especially um, with things like AI at the moment, it's very um, it's very important that this debate um, happen just so that we can set minds at rest. Spanos. So IMEX has gone like to the level that uh, in the last show in Frankfurt, they even had a, a whole session talking about the rebranding of IMEX. And they added as, as part of that of how they have used the technology to measure the impact of it. So uh, they have been a great partner and they are a great partner, continue to be a great partner in, in how they are communicating this to the organizers. Because, you know, on one hand, you can say, OK, I had a disclaimer so everybody knows. But it's a different thing having a session and a conversation and being able to invite everyone to listen in why you're using the technology and how you're using it. And that's a very important piece. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. I mean, seeing behind the curtain is, is something that we want to make sure everybody can do because it, it is, like I say, that fear of the unknown. Why, why do they want this information? What have they got? I mean, if, if you're very open and, and actually we want to celebrate it because we consider it best practice. So, um, you know, um, we're, we're happy to, as, as Pano said, you know, we, um, we invite um, people like himself to, um, to discuss that aspect along with in context of the actual use case. And then it makes sense. And then people think, oh, actually, it's actually really cool. And it's not. Yeah, absolutely. I have to give a massive testament to, I think, the way that IMEX designs their event experience overall with the, the show floor, obviously, where the meetings and education take place, and then the whole other side to the event, which is much more about how people are interacting with the event, that, you know, IMEX's sustainability journey and how they're, you know, doing what they can there, uh, the use of technology. And I think that's, I think people really appreciate that transparency and that peak behind the scenes, because, We've always we've all been backstage somewhere, haven't we? And we've kind of like looked at how the events put to, and pieced together and taken away inspiration. And I don't think our industry events should be any different. Um, in, in some cases, we're doing things very similar. In other cases, we're doing things very differently. Um, uh, so, so yeah, I have to give I have to give a hats off to, to Amex in terms of their approach to that because that's always been one of the elements of the event I've I've most enjoyed as well. And um, if I may jump in, Adam, on this one, yeah. based on our scores and our global benchmarks, IMEX, even though a big focus is education, uh, it's scoring really, really well across the board. It's, it's usually scoring in the top 75th, even 90th percentile. So the work the team is doing, you can actually see it in our data too. So I just wanted to shout out. 
Ollie, I think one of the interesting parts to, to focus on over the next couple of minutes would maybe just some examples um, from the past event or, or maybe going into IMAX America this year or Frankfurt next year. Like, what have you done or where has the data influenced maybe, you know, the event planning and decision-making process for next year? Has it changed elements of, of what you've designed or has it just been proof that you've got it nailed and you, you're doing a really, really good job? Oh, no, we never stop learning, uh, that's for sure. <laughs> um, one area that we're, we're particularly um, focusing on uh, for America this year that has been guided by the data of the previous um, deployments is to use it with um, uh, in tandem with our sponsors. Um, you know, we've long suspected that the the more active the sponsorship, so we're not just talking just a static banner here, but something that people can engage with, that that would be embracing the um, ethos of live events a lot more and hence would have more value to the attendee. Um, you now, since we've been um, measuring that a little bit um, uh, using um, facial analysis, we're able to say, actually, it does. Against the baseline and against other things, you can see an obvious uptick with that. So we're able to then play back this information to the sponsor, which gives them more confidence and gives us confidence that we're giving good advice as well. That leads to then doing, iterating those, um, you know, those activations, making them even more interesting, even more engaging. And then overall, you end up with a better show and a better attendee experience as a result. So we want that to continue a lot more. And it's become almost a standard feature now, um, you know, where, where positive engagement is uh, one of the success criteria, um, then 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 we we, we tend to, to use that as well. So certainly we'll be featuring this um, uh, at IMEX America, and I'm very happy to um, you know to talk about um, you know the the use of it and, and the results with with anybody really. But um, particularly the more people that use it as well, the more we're able to give more focused insights and more comparisons. So I mean it has a cumulative effect really um, rather than just one thing used in isolation in context of, of around the show and previous years as well we can say oh well this worked um, this worked better than this one you know and I'm hoping in the future maybe that um, we can go even deeper into that and people that are um, you know responsible for brands and responsible for marketing can start doing things that the sort of thing that you would do in the digital world like a b testing you know this is we've got this brand version here and we've got this other version of our branding you know which do people prefer or what types of people prefer one over the other um it's been tricky to do that in the, in the live um real world until now really now we're starting to get um you know technologies like xenus that can help um, make those decisions as well so it's becoming a lot more exciting space for experimentation for um uh, for people and certainly um you know, we, we're able to add insights to people that want to do more active sponsorships. They can just get more value from that. And hopefully, um, you know, as a result, the attendees will get more of a, you know, return on their experience for actually going there and engaging with, with something that's been tuned to, um, you know, to, to give them that, um, that, that better experience anyway. I think that's a fantastic example because to me, if we look towards let's say the brand experience activations that we see, you know, the types of things that Nike do or the NFL do or those kind of things. It's, you know, it's all based on getting people invigorated and engaged and part of the experiences or, or walking away from it with memories of what that brand brought to that activation as, you know, where they invested their money in giving people a good time. And when I think about the B2B world, it's often very much more, let's stick to, 
what we know or what we've done in the past or that the shall we say quote unquote safe activations maybe is a logo somewhere or a or a digital advert somewhere else or something like that so to be having those data-led conversations to back up those maybe more those 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 things that are more outside of their comfort zone but are actually really highly valued and really memorable by the attendees and and a much better use of budget um, to give an ex- more experience mm. to the show rather than it just be a passive engagement or something like that. I think um, I think that's something a lot of people could learn from is having those data-led conversations to back that up. Panos, yeah, uh, and if I jump in here, so we are seeing it a lot from lots of different sides. You know, the oh, it was a great thing versus how X Y Z metrics to show why it was a great activation. That's the first part. Like we see it on the brand side where we, you have the brand manager saying i'm going back to the office and i'm talking to the, my vp of marketing my cmo and they're telling me why do we spend x amount and mm-hmm. the conversation is getting a little bit uncomfortable where i have to try to justify things that intuitively i know they work but saying it is one thing showing it is another thing so that's the first part uh, from from the organizer perspective, it can be similar. It's one thing having your sales team, your accounting, going to your sponsors and say, "Hey, it was a great show. What do you think?" Like, and it's a different thing going with data. But what we're seeing uh, to to a great extent is more and more organizers are starting planning on incorporating the metrics and analytics as part of the sponsor packets. So in the past, you would say you're the platinum sponsor. You get space, mm-hmm. a banner, a talk. Now you pay marginally like one or two percent more, but you also get all the analytics that come with that. So it becomes part of the package embedded. So it's not an add-on, it's like part of the package because this is good for everyone. And what we see that IMAX has done really well uh, this year. So we have done, in addition to the show using the service, we have lots of individual brands using the service. And we discussed with Oli and he was like, that's what I was thinking. So we were entirely on the same page. What about getting a pool of data that everybody who agrees to share data with everybody else uh, will do that? And right now we'll have so much coverage of this upcoming show. So I'm very, very excited to see what we're going to get out of it because everybody that we told them that they work with us, hey, would you like to get us part of this group and pull all the data together? Everybody said yes. Everybody said yes because everyone's wants to be able to compare so it's going to be a very good uh, deployment very exciting yeah I, th- I think as an events industry whether it's trade shows conferences corporate events whatever we are under so much pressure to prove the value of what we do even though when people come into the room they physically feel the value of what we do and the platforms that we provide but often the people making those budgetary or financial decisions aren't necessarily the ones that either are coming to the event themselves, maybe they're the VPs or the C-suite or something like that. They're just that sales activations or marketing activations for the team. They can't be in all places at all one time. And that even goes sometimes for the person that's actually spending the marketing budget. They themselves might not be a part of the event delivery team or person on site. And without that tangible information, that reporting, that data, that stuff, all they have at the moment is a feedback loop from the people that were on site of like how did it go or how many mqls did we come away from that show with like how what what was the lead number the lead number of some to although it it will still stay important often becomes insignificant if they say 
we had this many people in the room. We know from IMEX's profile, this is what those people look like. And look at the sentiment around our brand in terms of how that was perceived because we mm. showed them a really good time or we left them with a lasting memory about our company or something like that. It's a mm. totally different pitch, totally different pitch. Yeah, and sure. it's not just, you know, it's not just us wanting to justify people spending money on things we've created because arguably it's even, even more valuable if we showed that something wasn't working as expected mm. and they needed to mm. change it, you know, so we're yeah. not trying to do that and just sort of like just give positive numbers all the time because that's got no value to anybody it might look good but we won't get away from it we won't get away with it for very long you know what what i'd like is for people to be able to you know see it as just a genuinely blind data source that they can um look at and think yes we made a right decision there or this is something we need to do a bit better on next time you know yeah it reminds uh, me very much is, oh, sorry sorry Panas, go, uh, go i ahead. was going to say that usually our best clients are the ones that they come to us and they say tell us what we did wrong don't sugarcoat <laughs> it just tell us what we did wrong and most of our case studies is from these kind of clients because these they're getting the biggest returns like we have people having massive uh, roi by ch changing things and improvements you have to have a strong stomach to say you know what maybe what i have done is not as good or i have space for improvement however you want to frame it very very important yeah no, absolutely. And it, it, Ollie, your, your point there reminds me of two companies that are showed that from an organizer that I know, one of them being Google in particular, that wanted to move to another space just because their competitor was there and having a lot of conversation on, on, on site about we need to be there next year, we need to be in that space next year. They're getting more footfall traffic hard than us. They're getting, uh, getting better engagement. And actually, they were using some technology that upheld their argument that you're actually wrong you're in a better place from a football perspective but but sometimes those opinions are hard to challenge without something to support support yeah. your argument as well i think and, and you know what one yeah, of points because we talked about the importance of measuring sentiment in addition to just attendance we are starting to get data that they show that people often assume the first day is the best but mm. if you look at numbers, the second and third day sometimes have more quality because you have higher dwell times, have higher positive sentiment. And we are starting to do some more reports and analysis where you, you, we see it's still early because we need more data. But so far we see that the second and third day, sometimes these leads, they convert at a high rate and a high contract value. If you look at six or mm. nine months down the line, which is very interesting. And this often happens because they have a better interaction. Yeah. And that's very hard to judge just from the number of leads alone. Mm. I mean, we also, we also, um, we were talking, Panos, last time we had a call about how to almost um, flip the technology so we can measure um, a drop in engagement because there's some show features that we have that are specifically designed so that people can get away from the hustle and bustle and the overwhelming, you know, um, busyness of the show floor just to recharge and switch off for a little bit. So, um, but we want to know that we've designed those correctly to achieve those objectives as well. So how do we measure that? So we were talking about maybe having something more like a binary measurement of sort of on or off, right, above or below a certain threshold where we can um, just see the lack of engagement, where the lack of engagement is a success criteria. Right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, exactly. Yeah. So it's, it's useful in that sense as, as well. I think that's a really important point because often 
the if we don't create those quiet spaces or those those more relaxing environments and things like that and you know unfortunately excel's not got a lovely park where people can go to in the sun and relax and you know maybe that's a, maybe that's a missed opportunity for them um as well as other venues around the world but you know they're important because ultimately the only other option really for attendees is to leave the event entirely find that safe space somewhere else possibly their hotel and things that then has a detrimental effect effect ultimately on the attendance of the show and the ROI mm-hmm. that people can get because those people are no longer there, right? They're seeking mm-hmm. sanctuary somewhere else. So why not create those spaces on the show floor? And I think that's something that the the exhibition market, trade show market is coming around to the idea of actually this is not just cannibalizing show floor space or revenue from somewhere else. This is creating a better experience for our audience and supporting yeah. them, especially if there's kind of other accessibility and, and, and other welfare kind of considerations for attendees as yeah, well. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we're, we're working uh, closely with Google XI as a partner this time around and creating a space specifically, um, you know, to accommodate pe- people with uh, neurodivergent needs. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And again, we can we can measure on um, on, on whether that um, is success- successful in lots of different ways. We can see how many people use it. Um, we can see if there's a change in, in facial expression when they're doing that. And then um, the old traditional way of just speaking to people around there as well and just asking them, um, did you use the space? How did you find it? Um, you know, it's important to, to to include spaces like that, absolutely. A quick question for you, Ali, on the post-show survey. Do you think the technology that you're implementing with, with Zenus will help alleviate some of those questions, make some of those questioning redundant? Or will do you see... I'm sure you're not going to remove that because you, you, you seem to be such a fan of layers of information mm. and access and stuff. But do you think the things that you might ask in a post-show survey, post-event, that actually are much better collected through a technology like Xenus rather than trying to ask people to reflect on the event maybe two or three days after they've been and things like that? Uh- yeah, the um, the post event survey is still really important, and we I don't know. Yeah, we probably we still have, will have a big spread of questions to cover all aspects, um, but as it's as we get more and more ways of measuring and monitor things as they're actually happening, then the post event survey is becomes more like a kind of canary in a coal mine in a way, in that it'll it'll point out something that's obviously a spike, something that's that's perhaps not right, or that we need to look deeper into, and then we can go back to the to, to the to the you know ethnographic data that we we measured at the show itself to say does this tell us anything more about what exactly happened here why was this really good this year or why was this really bad this year and then we can go back to the source whatever we can and then query it a little bit more create hypotheses and then maybe even do a follow up with the people that responded in that survey once we got a bit more intelligence about it and said we think it might be because of this is that true and then we can have a bit more meaning, meaningful discussion about it. So, yeah, absolutely, the post-event survey is still really important. And maybe, um, depending on what data we gather, it could change um, the emphasis on some of the questions. But I think we'll still want to do a good spread and cover all major areas as well. Because you, you, you're measuring something different. You're measuring people's remembrance of it. Yeah, um, very true. So that's quite different from doing something in in in, um, in the moment. So it's two completely different metrics that you've got going on there. You'd want them both to be positive, ultimately, but they both are related. That, that's what I usually say, Oli, that you want everything to point in the same direction. This is when you know you have something. Uh, when you see too much conflict between metrics, that's where there's usually space for improvement. 
for example, if you see very high dwell times, very high traffic uh, numbers, but very low sentiment, well, that's usually it's a bottleneck. Usually it points to a potential problem. But mm -hmm. when you have good traffic, good dwell times, good sentiment, that's when you know you have nailed the experience. And people often assume the most traffic, the better. But you mentioned about the neurodivergent people. 20% of the population is classified one form of neurodivergent, approximately. So too much traffic, too much noise, too much buzz is not always the best thing for everyone. And that's something you can start finding the optimal spot. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. As the use of facial recognition technology and analysis technology, should I, should I say, as well, evolves, and this is going to be a question for you both in silo, because I know you're looking at it potentially from, from slightly different angles and things like, where do you see its future role in two to three, maybe four years down the line within the events industry? And I guess as a secondary and follow-up questions that, are there any innovative ways that, Ollie, you plan to use this technology or that you hope that Panos develops for you to be able to use? And, and Panos, I don't know whether you can give us a, a peek behind the, the engine, but maybe there's just uh, a comments or a few ideas there from you on on areas that Zenus are currently looking to help support events. Ollie, I'll come to you first with, with that question, if that's okay. Yeah, absolutely fine. I think I may have alluded to it earlier on um, how I'd, you, we, I'd hope that people will, will embrace this technology and use it for experimentation more to try things out um, at events and then allow themselves to benchmark results so that then they can iterate on the experiences. Whereas sometimes you, you try something, I think it went okay, shall we do it again next year? Oh no, we'd better do something different. We'll do it totally different next year. And then there's a lot of pressure on on um, on exhibitors and people who are planning live events to continually refresh and do something new. But if you've got um, a foundation, a way of measuring things to be able to build things on year upon year, then then you've got a way in a structured way to improve activations and experiences. And that's as true for organizers as it is done for single singular exhibitors on, on designing their stands or, or, or sponsors, thinking of how can we engage people as well. Uh, I mentioned again how you could then like um, actually test two different things at the same event as well in a kind of A-B kind of way. Uh, again, organizers could could use that in terms of are we positioning things correctly? Is color making a difference? Something as simple as a different colored carpet or something like that. You can try all of these things out, you know, uh, and then the more you use it over time and the more other people use it, then that's a better data pool. And so long as everybody's continues to be happy with sharing, then, um, you know, then there's a cumulative effect on that. And you know, the result is basically the whole trade show gets gets a a boost really to the whole industry and um, becomes a more lively and more engaging place to be. You're in a good place, Ali, because I guess you can do Las Vegas and Frankfurt A-B testing then, can't you, in a, in a, in a year cycle where some organisers don't necessarily get to run their event mm. until, you know, a, a full 12 months. Is is that the way that you're, you're, you're kind of approaching it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, they are quite different, you know, um, they, they, we, we, the, the people that attend are very different uh, people. Um, uh, so, but um, but there are commonalities. There's some show features that are pretty much designed to be exactly the same, you know, give exactly the same responses and have the same function. So we want to make sure that there's at least some consistency of standards as well, and that we are we have things tuned just right um, to meet the, that um, particular particular group. But you're absolutely right. I mean, we still only get we're still only a small company in a way. We get two chances 
every year. That's not an awful lot, you know. So two chances to iterate every year. So we we take them every single chance we get. Absolutely. And Panos, what what do you see the future holding for for Zenus and the way that the technology will support support events going forward? So uh, it will be feature based. My, my response will be feature based. So something that all you might not know, we have uh, added benchmarking, easy benchmarking on the exhibit or an activation tab in addition to the sessions. So right now you have the ability to go and say where does my activation rank within the event, within the events I have done as an organization and on the global stage, so you're able to see where it ranks in different ways. That's the first part. The second part that's coming up uh, next week, it's we have a unique estimate, uh, an estimate of unique impressions to get closer to the number of unique people you're getting per day at different points. So this will be out next week. And then beyond there, when we go beyond that part, is some more enterprise support, you know, integrations with Power BI and other analytics tools to be able to pull it in. And right now that the product is, by the way, the product, it's new in the market in many ways, but it's more mature than people realize in terms of reliability, uptime, features, accuracy, and so forth. It is actually very, very mature. We have started expanding into other use cases, such as the ability for people to self-scan their buds from a distance with kiosks, and we have seen it being used at CMAT, Convening Leaders, Educon, at different shows, Dell, like we have lots of different people using this service because it makes the experience better. Uh, I think Julius Solaris, he tried it at CMAT, he went on Instagram and he said, if somebody asks me to scan my buds manually again, I'm going to call security. That's, that's how, <laughs> how much he liked the, the experience <laughs> of being able to do it entirely on their own. And then we will start looking into integrating voice analysis because you can get a lot of feedback from keywords, from voice, uh, adaptive content, integrating to DMX controllers so you can change the lighting and the sound in real time based on emotional responses. So the way we're thinking about the overall, overall roadmap is on level one, understanding the behavior of people. Number two, influence the experience of people in real time by being able to integrate fully into the AV components. And the third part is the, you know, uh, predict what will happen, being able to have the benchmarks and have a database of tactics. Uh, you know, if I do a panel for this audience, how does it react? If I do a keynote for this audience, what are the results? And being able to, you know, analyze, influence, predict. Yeah, I, I love that because that goes back to a conversation we were having um, earlier in the week at a, a small AI conference around events that we, we hosted here in the UK. And it was very much talking about how, you know, data and some of this AI technology and things like that could actually help a speaker prepare and tweak and tailor their presentation to resonate better with an audience based on the ability to see kind of ahead of the event maybe who was going to be in the room and kind of look at some social listening stuff and kind of bring that back through AI to go hey this audience might resonate better with this area of your presentation so focus more on that and to your point about using some of that to change the environment that we're in very much reminds me of kind of the you know the evolution of the 4D cinema right introducing new things so it's more sensory based because you know with all the best will in the world, especially if they're there for majority for content, watching session after session and trying to, you know, keep awake and engaged and switched on is very, very difficult mm -hmm. when there's nothing outside kind of actively changing or anything like that. 
but I can actually see how some of that data being fed in to say, hey, let's change this to maybe just change the background music to something a little bit more tranquil, people are a little bit tense and maybe we want to relax them a little bit or maybe we come back from lunch and we want to energise them and things like that and, and get them back to it. I think that's a really exciting part of individuals like Ollie and the teams at IMEX being able to really tweak and tailor that experience live through the event to make it more emotional and rememberable and visceral and things like that. So I think, you know, that's that's perfect for what we do as event organizers. We're trying to create memorable experiences and things like that. Um, thank you very much both for coming on and giving me your time. Ollie, for your time in explaining how IMEX approach it and some of the benefits that you've Pleasure. seen. Panos for creating great technology that's allowing us as event organizers to do these great things and have this insight and stuff like that. For anybody that wants to go out and look and, and learn more about the technology that Zenus does, zenus.ai is the website, I believe, Panos, isn't right, it, yep. that people yep. can go to? IMEX America and IMEXFrankfurt.com, I believe, are the websites. And if you've not been to IMEX and you're in the events industry, where have you been for the last however many years you've been in it? Because everybody <laughs> should go. I certainly am going to be there in, in America in uh, later this year looking at all the things that you're doing on site um, and it is one of my favorite events other than my own events obviously i'm biased though that's that's just I have can to i get say thank you <laughs> um for anybody who enjoyed listening to this podcast and made it to the end please do give it a share and a like reach out to ollie and panos and tell them how it benefited you or inspired you as well thank you very much once again and we'll see you in the next episode